I was looking down at the youth group section, and I, I need to pick on who is it or which of you are graduating our seniors this year. Is it just one of you? Okay. Uh, two of you. Three of you. No. I don't, you were just holding up a peace sign. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Katie and Grace. Um, either of you there yet? Do you have a senioritis? Yes, to, uh, this means yes, this means no. <laughs> senioritis, you got it, yes or no? Yes, okay. Uh, senioritis is that um, terrible plague that infects you somewhere between, you're long about the summer after your junior year, right? When so I got, I've got enough high school, I'm through it, I'm over it, I'm so over it, I need to put it behind me, but... Uh, those in power, those that be, say, ah, ah, not yet. Okay. I'm ready for you to, you have to do these final things, these last few hurdles and barriers before we give you that beautiful, wonderful diploma, right? But that's the end, isn't it? I mean, that's the end game. That's the finish line, right? You get there, you've been running for 13 long years, you've been thinking about this day, and, and at this point, you will be a full-fledged adult, this milestone in your life, right? You'll finally be free. You'll be at the end, right? They're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> How am I supposed to answer this question? Yeah, Katie is correct. I, I know Grace is maybe a tad confused, but Katie's like, no, this is not the, this is not the end, is it? No, it's not. I... It's one of those very cruel jokes that they play on graduating seniors. You know, they make you order the cap and the gown. They make you do the little march and the, the practice of that. And they, they, they make you listen to a commencement speaker and they call you alphabetically and they go through all of this. You toss your hats high in the air. And it's like, aha, we're finished. And you know what they named that entire ceremony? Just as one last cruel joke to you. The name of it is commencement. And commencement means not the finish, not the end, but the beginning. So it's like you go through this entire ceremony, this pomp and circumstance. Hi, Emma. Glad you could be with us tonight. <laughs> so you go through all of this. You thought I wouldn't call you out, did you? You go through all of this pomp and circumstance, all of this ceremony, all of this regalia, all of this not to get to the finish, but just to realize that the finish is nothing more than a brand new beginning. Sometimes we, in our lives, go toward the illusion of the finish line. If we get here, then we'll be done. If we get here, if we just get here, then we'll have enough. If we just get here, then everything will be okay. If I just get here, and usually what happens when you get to those here points is that you just realize, just like those graduating seniors, oh, it's sort of the finish. It's the finish of what was, but it's also now the beginning of everything that is. All right. Tonight, we're in John. Uh, we've been in John for this entire year on a journey through his gospel, trying to get a picture of the gospel, this very unique gospel that the disciple whom Jesus loved wrote. And uh, what he's talking about tonight is the closest I can get to Jesus' commencement speech. Um, he didn't intend it that way, right? He wasn't, you know, 
Obviously, he was the valedictorian of all those guys. But he, he didn't intend this to be the end. Now, the disciples, they looked at it as the end. And we'll see that as we go through the text. But it was not just the end. Jesus said, this is the beginning of something amazing. And uh, they're going to ask a lot of questions that we normally ask when we come to the end of something. You know, when you, when you come to the end of almost anything, there's that part of you that's like, oh, man, things will never be as good as they were. It'll never be the same. And that's true. But maybe, maybe better things, maybe far better things lie ahead in our journey with Jesus. So if you're in your Bibles tonight, turn to this uh, commencement ceremony. John chapter 14 is where we're going to be. He's going to give us three powerful promises. Now these promises, is more than three, but the three I picked out to talk about are are these promises that are going to guide the disciples and get them through the coming days. For three years, for just a little over a thousand days, They've been walking with Jesus, they've been following the rabbi, they've been going where he went, doing as he said to do, listening as he taught, listening to his stories, being able to ask him questions about all those stories, and, and they've been able to do that kneecap to kneecap, person to person, and just, just being in his presence the entire time. And having experienced that, Jesus said, we've come to the end of that. And um, as you might think, for them, that was a feeling of loss, a feeling of sorrow and sadness. But for Jesus, he was excited at the prospect of what was to come. All right. I want to talk first about John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. This first section leads us to our first promise. I'm going to read John 14. Verses 1 through 14. I hope you'll follow along in some form or fashion. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father. 
and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. And so that the Son may bring glory to the Father, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The first promise that Jesus offers us in this section of Scripture is simply, you know the way. Of course, they think that Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be with you any longer. As if to say, I'm leaving Jerusalem and I'm going to Judea, I'm going to Dan, I'm going to Beersheba. I'm, I'm leaving your physical presence, but I'm going somewhere else. And Jesus is talking certainly about a much different place than just a physical location. Where are you going? How can we know the way? Can, can we just come with you? How do we get there? They, they, they ask these questions and they sound like children on a summer vacation going somewhere. And they know it's going to be great, but they just keep asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer until we get there? Well, the problem is, of course, that where he's going, they can't come yet. They cannot be there right now. And so he's reminding them, and he's also reminding us, that he left for a purpose. Not just to go to the cross, but even beyond the cross, after the resurrection, he would leave their presence to prepare a place for us. It reminds us that heaven is a prepared place. Someone once said it's a prepared place for a prepared people. And I've always liked that. I always thought that made sense. But Jesus says the way to heaven is what you've always known. Philip says, how in the world do we get from, even if they did understand this, I'm not sure that they did. How do we get from here in this room surrounding this table to there? And Jesus says, how? How? I've been with you the entire time. Everywhere you've gone these last three years has simply been because you trusted in me. Now, if I want you not just to go somewhere here, but to go there, it's the same way. You have to trust me. Now, we read John fourteen six a bit out of context. You know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that's, I mean, that is true. But in the context, Jesus is pointing them to a greater truth. That he's the way, he's the way. Now, pause for a politically incorrect message. Jesus is not a way. Jesus says, I am the way. And that's a very important distinction. And it also brings us to a dividing line, because Jesus was either absolutely right about that fact, or he was crazy. So we trust and know, and hopefully understand, maybe like the disciples, Jesus was trying to get the disciples to go to to learn that the way to the Father has always been the same. You've been with me, Philip. You've been walking with me, talking with me, following me. I am the way. And as long as you know him, then you know the way. 
Uh, if you caught it, you understood that this is the sixth of the I am statements in John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, we have a, one more of these coming up, but Jesus has been, throughout this gospel, John has been pointing out the I am statements where he said uh, who, he, who he was and who he came to be. There was no ambiguity with Jesus. He was very clear on who he was and what he came to do. And this binary statement that he makes it can only be true or false. It can't be true and false. Either he is the way or he is not. Now, for our memory's sake, I'm sure you all remember this, but let me just review briefly some of the ways in which Jesus has repeated this fact. He's repeated this idea that if you know me, if you talk to me, if you have a relationship with me, you know the way to the Father. The the Father and I are one. If if you understand that, uh, then you get what Jesus has been trying to say all along. But let's look at John's Gospel. Uh, You can do some page flipping now. Go back all the way to chapter 1, the very beginning of the book. John says this, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John used the beginning of his gospel to go all the way back to the very beginning, the beginning of all, all the, the entire Bible. In the beginning, Jesus was there. It wasn't just God was there and then Jesus was an afterthought. I mean, it's God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're there Together as one. And as they are there, the presence of Jesus, you know, his incarnation, his, his coming to this world was, was known even at that time. Wouldn't happen for a long time, but Jesus was there in the beginning. Turn to uh, verse 14 of the same chapter. Chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it wasn't just the power of the words of God. It was that the word put on skin and flesh and muscle and fat and tendons. And it had a voice and it had a personality and it had eye color. And he dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. The glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. John was clear. From from the very outset of this story, this you know, John chapter 14, verse 6, should not be a surprise. Look at verse 18, four verses down from chapter 1. By the way, I'm not going to go through this the entire book, okay, like this. I, but I'm just pointing out some verses where Jesus said this, and it would take forever to get through the end, all of them. But Jesus said, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but the... The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. And their entire story for the the Hebrew people was connected all the way back to Abraham. Jesus says, Abraham was a great guy. But I was there long before Abraham. John chapter 10, verse 37 and following. 
If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. This entire time, every time he does a miracle, in fact, he says it here in chapter 14, at least believe on the miracles themselves. The purpose of that was to draw them and to show them that he and the Father were one. That they were after the same purpose, that they had the same goal, that they were working uh, together in this. All right, let's read uh, John chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 15. I'm going to read through verse 26. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be with you and in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse verse 22. And Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Which is a, a fairly reasonable question. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things... And will remind you of everything I have said to you. Okay, so the second promise, the, the, the first one is you know the way. And the way, of course, being Jesus. The second promise is that you are not alone. You have a helper. You have a guide, a comforter, a counselor. Early in my walk as a Christian... Uh, I knew Acts 2.38, still know Acts 2.38 pretty well. Uh, that's a, a fairly common, well-known, especially if you're a long-time Church of Christ, you know, the first gospel sermon ever preached. Peter says, you guys killed the Christ, the Son of God. And they get it. They're cut to the heart. They want to they do something. They're, they're ready to respond. They say, verse 37, what? They were cut to the heart. What shall we do? And verse 38, he says, repent. And be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And, man, I, I latched on to that because I, I wanted the forgiveness of my sins. And I, I saw that that was what the scriptures taught. But there's something else that we get in that verse that we shouldn't miss. Um, and, and for me, at the beginning, it was the focus on the forgiveness of sins. But verse 38 says, repent. And be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and 
you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, because of the way the Holy Spirit has been abused, um, for some time, our, our basic response was, I don't understand the Holy Spirit, so I'm sort of just going to um, ignore him. And that's, that's, that's a terrible disservice to us in our faith. To understanding what the Spirit does and how he works, we don't know. We don't know how he indwells. We're only promised that he does. How he works, I don't, you know, I don't believe it's anything magical or mystical or miraculous. I believe it's simply a promise. The scriptures later say that it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's part of God. He lives within us. He guides us. He helps us. Romans chapter 8 tells us that he helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray and how to pray. Uh, so he, he's a very real presence and is a he, not an it. He's a part of the Godhead himself. Now, maybe if we even understand that and acknowledge that, my guess is we still take that for granted. But, but, but step back to the apostles for just a second. Jesus is leaving? We, we, what, where are we gonna go, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to, I mean, how do we, what in the world, how are we supposed to do this by ourselves? And Jesus says, you don't have to do this by yourselves. I'm going to give you a helper. And I think he helped them in a few specific ways. One, he was their guide. Um, turn to John 16, verses 12 through 13, if you're following along, if you care to. We'll get to this in more in depth as we come to this part of the lesson, but of the text, rather. I still have many things to say to you, he says in verse 12, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You and I, if we want to know, if we want to obey Jesus, Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. So if we want to know, we just turn. What does he command? I look, you know, I'm so grateful that he spoke in red letters. Um, I can, but I can look at what he said. I can look at the commands. I can pay attention. It's not hard to do. They didn't have that. That wasn't a help to them. How do we know what? Before they had just said, Jesus, what are we doing today? Where are we going? Jesus, what does this mean? How do we get here? So this, this, this promise of the Holy Spirit, a helper, a guide to them, was very important. Because remember now, the, the kingdom, the church, has not been established yet. He's leaving that in their hands. To me, that's like the biggest risk. I mean, I would think Jesus at least want to preach one sermon. Let me get this thing rolling for you, okay? He said, no, I'm going to leave this in your hands. And I'm okay with that because the Spirit will be there to guide you. And he'll guide you into the truth that you need to know. Um, he helps them pray. We, we mentioned Romans 8 before. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, this says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Um, this morning, we talked about the prayer of supplication, about asking sincerely. And there's sometimes you come up with situations like you know you need to pray to God, but you 
put your hands together and you close your eyes, maybe even bow your knees, and the words don't come. I don't know what to ask for here. I don't, I don't know what the right thing to, to do here is. And the beautiful promise is that we don't have to know. But because of, of who we are and who's within us, we can say, Spirit, I need you to help me speak to the Father and and help me to pray as I ought to in this situation. Look at uh, John chapter 14, verse 26, which is part of our text that we just read. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is an amazing promise. And I believe, of course, that was specifically to them. But can you imagine them, these these 12 guys, 11 guys, I guess, trying to remember everything that Jesus taught? Even if they could possibly remember every single thing that Jesus taught, could they even begin to understand it? Can you imagine the hilarity of what he told that story? But how did it go? It was a, it was a parable about something. How did it, you know? Then they just start to get in arguments. A human wisdom trying to reason out God's purpose and Jesus's um, all the truth that he had taught them over the last three years. Somebody's sitting around going. I didn't know I was supposed to be taking notes. <laughs> I know I was supposed to be writing this stuff down. And they didn't have to worry about that either. Even if they couldn't remember it all, even if they didn't fully understand it all, the Holy Spirit was going to guide them to produce with 100% accuracy the word, the God-breathed, the Spirit-breathed word that you and I trust in today. Fully accurate, fully inerrant, completely His word. Their biggest fear, of course, was Jesus leaving. Their, their fear of being orphaned. Um, and the Holy Spirit was a fulfillment of the promise, not just to be with them, but to dwell within them. So we're not alone either. Um, don't let the Holy Spirit be forgotten just because he's been misrepresented. I believe we we do well to... Avoid that and, and instead acknowledge, even though we don't understand the Spirit, that He's still with us and He's still there to help with us. I was trying to think of an illustration that I could kind of, that would be relatable. It's not a great one, but it's the only one I've got. Several years ago, um, we were, every year we'd go to teen camp and we kind of ended up taking Tyler about every other year for whatever reason. And so this was a year that he wasn't going to go. He and Christy were going to stay behind. And uh, I got the idea to take my, I don't know if it was my phone or camera or something, and make a little video, because he was probably three, four-ish. So he's at that age where dad being gone for a week is kind of hard. And so I just left him a short 90-second video. Um, I've, I've tried to find it, but I couldn't. Dig it out of the archives. But it basically said this. Hi, Tyler. Dad loves you. Listen to your mom. Be good this week. Dad's going to see you real soon. 
I miss you, I love you, bye. I mean, and it was just kind of that very simplistic way of sort of reassuring him at his level. And it was amazing to me, like, uh, when I got home that Saturday night from camp, he wrapped his little arms around me. But for the next several days, he went around parroting everything word for word in that video. Hi, Dad. I love you. You know, hi, Tyler. I love you. Be good for Mom. I'll be home soon. I miss you. And he had, it was clear that he had watched it and, and put it into his heart and, and depended on the words. So, in a similar way, Jesus is trying to give them a gift of himself, the Holy Spirit, who is sort of, again, this is, please don't take this as theology or anything, but it kind of like heaven's reminder video within us to remind you that God loves you, that he wants you in heaven, that he hasn't forgotten you, that he's coming back soon, and that he'll see you very soon. The Spirit, the Word, do those things within us again and again. The Holy Spirit was their reminder, and he is ours. Which leads us to the third and final promise, that he will come back. Jesus promised them to come back, and and obviously there was two levels of this promise. First, for them, was going to be his resurrection, right? They're going to watch their rabbi, their teacher, their friend be beaten, mocked, ridiculed, beaten again, taken up to Golgotha, hung on a cross, watch him breathe his last gasp of air in that torturous, cruel way. They're going to watch the darkness cover the land. They're going to hear him gasp, why have you forsaken me? They're going to see him give up his spirit. And for them, it's going to be over. Fani. And he needs them to get through that day on Friday so that they hold on and don't give up and don't miss out on Sunday. Amazing things are going to happen on Sunday. They've never seen happen before, maybe at the exception of Lazarus, but in a different way, okay? So he's saying, I'm coming back. But there's a second level of this promise, okay? Because remember, when he comes back on Resurrection Day, he's not sticking around forever. I mean, he's going to appear and, and be around for a little while, but then comes the point in Acts when he's floating up into the sky. And we're still waiting on that return. And we got to hold on to the promise just like they did. He says, my peace I leave with you. The Hebrew word shalom means don't worry. Uh, When he was on the storm, the, the wind and the waves were crashing. And he said, peace, be still. Same word. So this is the first post-resurrection. We, we skip ahead to John chapter 20. I know I'm skipping all around in John, but what he said is this. John chapter 20, verse 19. This is so cool. <laughs> On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, 
The doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. It was the very same promise that he had made around the table. My peace I leave with you. His peace dissolves our fear. It surpasses our understanding. And I'm convinced if we'll let it, it will rule in the hearts of his people. And it has and it still does today. The ruler of this world is coming, Jesus says. And they're going to see the reality of darkness coming. Uh, But that ruler of this world, Satan himself, he would see that he had nothing on Jesus. No claim on him, no sin to convict, no fear, no power of death. And it's the same is true for us. So may we not forget, we know the way. We're not alone. And he will come back. What possible application does this have for us? Number one, we've got to remember those promises. You know the way. It's Jesus. You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit who guides you and helps you. And he's coming back. The resurrection is true for them, is true for us. So the second application is, in addition to remembering the promises, we sort of got to act like we believe those promises. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, Peter writes, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I said this morning, uh, not jokingly by the way, that we are closer now to that day than we have ever been. When will it be? We don't know. Be very suspect of anyone who claims to, okay? But we're closer now than we've ever been, and the fulfillment of that promise, that last and final and greatest of all promises, we will see. And when we see it, we'll know his final, full, and complete peace. The victory will be ours, not because of what we did, but because of what he did. We not forget that these promises help us to know that it's not the end. It's just the beginning. And Tonight I want to call you, I want to invite you, as we often do as part of our tradition, to uh, invite you to begin a journey with Christ. That step begins with believing and trusting that he's Lord, putting sin behind you, and being immersed for the forgiveness of those sins that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're ready to do that tonight, we want to call you and invite you to do that as we sing this song. And if you've done that, but you maybe have forgotten some of these promises, you've let the world get you down, you've Satan's gotten to you, and, and you've forgotten some of these promises, and you need some people to battle alongside you and pray with you and for you and encourage you, we'd love to do that as well. We believe that's one of the things the church does. Whatever your need is tonight, uh, we want to help you and guide you uh, to the Christ who is the way. If you're ready to know the way and you're ready to follow him, come now as together we stand and sing.